0: Book Award. This event includes stories by Layla and Maggie, a book signing, and bite sized treats from the book's recipes. On Sunday, October 27th at 2 p.m., Park Day School, 360 42nd Street in Oakland. This event is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for the Middle East Children's Alliance, co sponsored by Joining Hands. For more information, call 510-548-0542 or visit our website, www.megaforpeace.org. And good afternoon. You are listening to 94.1 FM, KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a room in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in love. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Now, for those of you listeners out there who love the theater of politics, (laughs) I know you've had a headache for weeks. Anyway, these past few weeks have been a feast for me. I just turned off that mess in Congress, you know, (laughs) and I watched cable TV and PBS, and I watched history. Now, of course, the past is never past, you know, (laughs) what is that? Uh, Somebody said the other day, they said, yes, uh, oh, but that's all past, no, no, past is never past, it isn't dead, no, hell, no, it isn't even dead. Anyway, I want to tell you about The Hollow Crown, first of all, it's on PBS TV, and it brought us four of Shakespeare's history plays. Talk about political melodrama, ambition, primate grandiosity, you know, guys, alpha males, the young bulls like Hotspur, and the all the old guys, you know, the silverbacks like the ones in Congress. Anyway, you know, the psychological profiles are all the same, uh, Anyway, the plays are Richard II, Henry IV, Parts 1, Part 2, uh, and Henry V, the fourth play. I watched them all several times. I love the actor playing Richard II, The Gay King, Ben Winslow, a masterly performance fascinating actor he does masochism megalomania self-centered to a fault king all his life brat you know he's 33 actually when he's slain in prison at the end whoops is that a spoiler anybody out there who doesn't know king richard ii was murdered well assassinated uh He's just this study in narcissism and wounded vanity. Uh, I was going to say something about Nixon, but no, 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 no. Anyway, uh, Richard II, he gives his crown to Bolingbroke, the cousin who is to become Henry IV. You know, he plays Christ, uh, he takes it back again, and then he throws it to Bolingbroke, rolls it on the ground, and weeps and weeps. He realizes he has lost his throne. You remember uh, how he did that. He was so embarrassing. Um, the warrior crowd just was horrified. They looked at him and looked away. Anyway, at some point in the play, he realizes, yes, he's lost his throne, and he sinks down on the sand by the sea there, he says, oh, God, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of dead kings. Anyway, this actor, Ben Winshaw, uh, I think he's kind of magic. I look forward to seeing him again. He played John Keats in a recent film made by Jane Campion. That movie's called Bright Star. Uh, a reference to famous line by John Keats. Uh, of course, it's a different role, but still we've got frailty and sensitivity uh, and all that, uh, what do you call that, uh, vulnerability in both characters. He also played in a feature film of Brideshead Revisited. He played Sebastian, the alcoholic son uh, of Emma, Emma Emma Thompson. She's the stern Catholic mother in that movie. She she drives Sebastian to drink uh, off in North Africa. No, I think Algeria, I think. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Uh, These plays, of course, are classics. Along with the great Greek tragedies, you know, Shakespeare's history plays are all about fate, destiny, and retribution, octae, hubris, nemesis, said the Greeks, you know. I hope that our uh, politicians get their comeuppance, those Tea Party retro types. The next election will tell the tale. Anyway, I was off KPFA during the... First screening of those four plays, The Hollow Crown. They're calling it. Uh, I think, yes, I think I must order it for Christmas. It's forty-five dollars. I, I don't know. Maybe I can get copies for our next marathon. It's uh, once again Richard II, Henry IV, Part One, Henry IV, Part Two, and Henry V. I think so. Yes. Then I'll put them next to uh, my copy. I think I might... Well, no, I don't know if I want to buy a modern prose play, but our cable screens are running a 10-part series uh, called The White Queen. Now, it is on the Stars Network. That's a premium channel. You know, uh, it, it's funny... Historically, the White Queen takes up right after the end of the Hollow Crown in 1461, right? It's all about the War of the Roses, which I studied uh, in college exhaustively. It was an Anglophile. You know, uh, Shakespeare, of course, wrote plays about the other epoch, the historical epoch, that they deal with in the White Queen. That is, he wrote Richard the Third, and of course Richard the Third was painted by Shakespeare as a villain of the worst kind. You know, he was this hunchback monster. In the White Queen, we get a serious revision. Um, I don't know how many people will buy this this new uh, plot. Uh, by the way, I want to mention to you that um these premium networks, you can order them on cable television, just order them and then watch the 10 hours uh, all together, watch them all and then cancel. You know, very, very economical. Anyway, this king thing is really all about the abuse of power. Well, actually, sometimes it's about the uses of power. There's a couple good guys. Edward IV in The White Queen is portrayed as a wise fellow. A few characters even act to bring about peace. That's his goal. He's very pragmatic. There's an in-depth study of the psychology of these people, you know, uh, they plot and plan. They want to rise in society. Competition, all the ways in which ambition and greed and all those, uh, <laughs> all those, what is it? Fatal flaws leads men and women to betray their families, their lovers, their kinsmen. Now the Shakespeare plays. The Hollow Crown. Those are glorious takes on the masculine warrior culture. I gotta hand it to him. If there was ever a poetry of violence uh, Shakespeare's history plays, that's it. Of course, he modifies. He has other scenes in which we see the uh, ordinary human beings and even the uh, second thoughts of the rulers. Uh, But, in Shakespeare's day, the mythos of manhood, it's all about heroics, you know. Uh, the 15th century, the kings were warriors. They led their troops into battle. <laughs> One scene, Warwick kills his horse, so he can tell his soldiers that he will go with them and die, which he does. Never mind. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Never mind that these people have betrayed their nearest and dearest, uh, committed treason against the king and the country, double crossed most of their clan, um, know, given their daughters away in hideous marriages. The final test is whether or not they died gloriously in battle. <laughs> Falstaff is the character who pretends to do it. You know? Of course now that women uh, get a little glory in terms of, well, childbirth or just despair, but mainly, uh, they're, what do you call that, uh, either, uh, recreation, recreation for the warrior or their pawns in this game. Oh boy, the most fun for me is when Henry V is young and he hangs out with Falstaff at the Boar's Head Tavern. <laughs> That's a trip. Now, The idea is that the young Hal uh, is learning the the ways of the underclass Uh, and then he says his conversion to seriousness will be taken more seriously once he becomes a royal, you know. His father dies and he will swiftly become sober as one of the lines goes. Yes, he pulls that off. One of the lines is, uh, never was such a sudden scholar made overnight, he's uh, uh, grandiose and solemn, Uh, anyway, uh, Falstaff is my favorite, there's Mistress Quickly, and Nell Tearsheet, I love that name, her last name is Tearsheet, T-E-A-R, Sheet, I guess that means that she tears the sheets, they call her doll at times, and then we've got Pistol and Bardolph and Poins and Nim, this motley crew. Uh, Bardolph uh, is hung for stealing from the church, and at that point, Prince Hal, Prince Hal is on his great white horse, and he says that Bardolph would be an example to the other, uh, uh, to the other criminals. Then he remembers this was his old and dear friend. Ah, yes, Falstaff always makes me think of people, old Irish relatives of mine, in their cups. Ah, we have heard the chimes at midnight, Master Shallow. Yes, the chimes at midnight. Falstaff's part is all about age and loss and, of course, laughter all at once. What's the cure for all this sorrow? Nothing but singing a pretty song and, you know, going to the party. Orson Welles used that line for the title of his film, The Chimes at Midnight. Okay, what days have we seen, Master Swallow? It's all meditation on age and aging, on the human comedy, and I guess on the ultimate ambiguity of all human endeavor. As Falstaff would say, you know, we're all headed for the same bit of earth anyway. The role of Falstaff here is played by a a man, an actor that the critics say is probably the greatest Shakespearean actor living. His name is Simon Russell Beale. He's played Timon of Athens somewhere. I can't figure out how to get it. Uh, This um, British television, Simon Russell Beale. Uh, His job in the play, of course, is to mentor Prince Hal, Uh, take him through the rough-and-tumble... Times of youth. Let him sow his wild oats as he comes of age. Hal's favorite thing is to torment his father, King Henry the Fourth. That's now Jeremy Irons has that part. He plays Henry the Fourth. Amazing performance. His, I think it's best, best he's ever done. Uh, better than the Pope in the Borgias. You remember. Jeremy Irons plays the Spanish, uh, what do you call that, villain? Yes, Rodrigo Borgia. He becomes Pope Alexander in 1492. (laughs) Yes, actually he's awfully good in the Borgias too. But here he is suffering, of course, from terrible guilt because he took the crown from Richard II. Anyway, Patrick Stewart turns up as John of Gaunt. Uh, that's in Richard II, Uh, David Suchet, remember Poirot, he's got a great part, all the usual suspects, all those British actors, uh, and of course, the Shakespeare plays have the language, I think that's number one, at least in my judgment, all the memorable lines, the White Queen on the other hand, uh, has a lot of material about the women. It's revisionist, but, uh, well, maybe some of it's true. Their battlefield, of course, is marriage. They are warriors in, uh, <laughs> in that role. Anyway, the best bet for the women is to be mother to a king. That's the secret. Is it Henry VII's mother? She wants to be, uh, Yes, Regina. Victoria Regina, I remember that one. Uh, Anyway, she wants to be the king's mother. Uh, Now, Shakespeare's Henry IV, there's only one woman character with a real part. It's Hotspur's wife, Kate. (laughs) She keeps yelling at him that she wants to know what's going on. She'll break his fingers if, if, if he doesn't tell her. She tries to break his little finger. It's played by that beautiful actress, Michelle... Dockery, the lead in Downton Abbey, if you're familiar with Downton Abbey, uh, she's got a couple of lovely scenes, that's all, and there is, of course, Mistress Quickly, uh, Julie Walters, very well done, a nice turn, it's a Judy Dench role, she played, uh, Mistress Quickly in, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Henry IV, the definitive screen rendition of Mistress Quickly. Kenneth Branagh, of course, uh, what was it he said? He said, I give good soldier. That's his phrase. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I think that this new interpretation is competition for uh, Kenneth Branagh's film. The scene when the king, when Hal walks among his soldiers in disguise and talks to them about the role of the king and the the subject ruler. Yes, the subject, the ruler, and the ruled, and, you know, all that um, stuff. We still have it, you know, whether or not the common man is any more responsible for what's going on. You know, the universal soldier used to be my favorite song. Anyway sentimental folks like the famous line about that scene uh, a little touch of harry in the night i don't know i like the bit when the soldiers talk about the uh, uh the king's reckoning there'll be a reckoning after the battle you know when all those limbs and arms and bloody corpses lie in Piles on the battlefield has a big description of the horrors of war and the widows and orphans and all that for a cause. His soldiers cannot judge. Is it honorable? They don't know, one soldier says. It's enough to know that we are the king's subjects. Hm. Yes, that's an early version of, well, I just followed orders. Not my place to think about these things. I hear that a lot, actually, in recent years. Uh... ...from military men, you know. We're fighting for uh, whatever the king or the ruler tells us is the right thing. Anyway, there's definitely a difference, you know, uh, (laughs) between constitutional monarchies and tyrannies. I don't know whether uh, Hal Henry IV was running a tyranny, but it was certainly a monarchy... A constitutional monarchy came later in England. You remember Magna Carta. uh, That was back in 12 something, actually. That was the time when the nobles got a hand in it. So we have an oligarchy, a collection of kings. Anyway, kings, lords, and anyway, a nice feudal system, you know. For those of us who became very irritated by the recent temper tantrums in Congress, I think it's wise to remember that. Democracy is still the best of the worst systems um, It may be It may be as King George once told us, <laughs> King George the Third, that we will regret the loss of monarchy. Uh, of course, our balance of power gets unbalanced at times. I am grateful that President Obama stood his ground recently. He is, after all, a lawyer. He points out that the uh, law has passed, you know, uh, Obamacare. Anyway, it's all been voted on. The Supreme Court has given it the okay. I mean, I mean, uh, Obama went to, yes, uh, Harvard Law School. He's the editor of the Harvard Law Review. And uh, I think he knows a lot about what the intentions of our forefathers were. were I don't know exactly what they had in mind, but they certainly chose to transcend monarchy. They knew that was a bad idea. Uh, I think that they believed in progress, in the notion that those feudal arrangements were out of date. You know, uh, of course, the 18th century federal government was nothing like ours today. For all those people who keep saying, it's in the Constitution as if that were sacred text we know that uh, uh let's see who got the vote then? Nobody but males with property back in the eighteenth century. To change all that took a civil war and much struggle. Women women couldn't vote till after World War One. Uh women, let's see. They've had to the vote uh it's only is only a few years let's see the uh, african american male citizens yes they got the franchise with the civil war but the women of color and uh, all women yes <laughs> got nothing at that time abigail adams said remember the ladies and uh, john adams said oh lord the biggest tribe of all what do you want to get <laughs> get after those he said i've got enough trouble i don't know I'm one of those who think that democracy might continue to evolve in our age because the power is now in the hands of corporations, of those money men. Yes, that's an international oligarchy, you know, like the nobles under the oak, right? (laughs) Give us a piece. World monetary system, probably all true Moloch, the money god. Economic determinism uber alles. I am one of those romantics who still dream of absolute freedom for the individual, at any rate a world in which that's an ideal, the hope uh, of the future. Ah, when I was young, I thought we were slouching towards socialism and Cuba without the bad stuff. Uh, I even thought capitalism might be useful, you know, used to promote the general welfare has its uses, but (laughs) the world of high finance seems to have changed everything. That's where my brain burnt out. I just, I don't get it. I can't see it. How did it all come about? Uh, My Dutch ancestors started some of it. Of course, the Italian bankers are even older uh, tricksters, manipulators. Uh, Their schemes go back to ancient Rome, nothing new under the sun. Just new ways to extract goods and services from the workers, from the masses, to provide luxury for the classes. Or at least, you know, enough money to to wage their wars. That's what Richard II said, you know. After John of Gaunt dies, he says, take the stuff, grab everything you can. <laughs> we need the money to go fight, I guess, Ireland. It was, uh, crime is often the first step in capitalism, uh. Ah, uh, he and others in those years used art to promote their systems. Some people think it's better than modern advertising. Uh, all the way back in the Roman Empire, right, they they used grandiose painting schemes. Yes, they built Gothic cathedrals in the Middle Ages, magnificent churches, ...capture the imagination of the people... ...put fear into the hearts of the masses... ...today that's all Hollywood. Anyway, I have pages and pages here about English history... ...and they have time to do it again... Uh, ...come back to these plays because I just love them so much... ...and I want, uh, I want the students out there to watch these plays... ...especially if they can get that closed caption a lot of young people do need uh to be able to read the lines at the bottom of the screen then they can uh cut through some of those uh shakespearean confusions it is a little difficult i miss a word from time to time i think uh i think it's not that difficult once you get used to it uh i wanted to finish today by talking about uh Richard the Third and the revisionist, the revisionist bit in uh, the White Queen is perfectly wonderful. You remember that Richard the uh, Third was an arch villain in Shakespeare's play, and now it seems that <laughs> with the new information, uh, Richard uh, may not have done the dastardly deeds that Shakespeare wrote about. Uh, I think well in any way in this in this rendition in the white queen uh what is it he does um he does everything in an effort to to make things better now that doesn't mean that he wasn't ambitious uh at the same time I think what I like best is the fact that in the battle the great battle before the war when he defeats <laughs> And he uh, defeats his uh, predecessor. He's truly in love with Elizabeth York, later to be Queen of England, and uh, uh, they have a lovely night of love. In Shakespeare's play, of course, Richard III is visited by the ghosts of everyone he killed. Now that's a switch indeed. I think I have time to talk about that wonderful melodrama in the White Queen next time for those of us anglophiles who think that English history has a lot to do with who we are now this has been Jennifer Stone with Mind Over Media till next time I will be on the air Tuesday I think of next week then go easy and if you can't go easy go as easy as you can Hello, this is Julia Butterfly Hill. While living in the now permanently protected over 1,000 year old Redwood Luna, I prayed one day asking how we best make positive change in our world. The answer came to me in the form of an equation. Truth plus hope equals action equals change. It is only through public and alternative press like KPFA that we as people can find the true information and inspiration necessary in changing our world. Please. Support KPFA and be a part of actively empowering positive change in our world.